Hi, this is Dave Summers, and welcome to AMA Edgewise. Ann Barr Thompson is founder of the brand consultancy 164th and former executive director of strategy and planning at Interbrand. She was named a Trust Across America 2018 top thought leader in trust and inspires business leaders to use their brands as a motivating force for change. Through her pioneering model of brand citizenship, she helps companies meaningfully engage with customers, employees, other stakeholders, and the wider world. And she's the author of the book that we'll be talking about today, Do Good, published by Amacom. And welcome to AMA Edgewise. Why, thank you. Glad to be here. What is brand citizenship and why is it so important right now? So brand citizenship is an ethos. Technically, it's a five-step model that aligns purpose with profit. For a company to actualize brand citizenship from its fullest holistic standpoint, they need to begin with a purpose and move outward from that along the five-step continuum. Brand citizenship simultaneously delivers benefits to individual customers and employees and other stakeholders while also bettering the world. The five steps of the model span across something I label the me to we continuum People are looking to the brands they buy and the businesses they support to help them solve their personal me problems, so the individual things that we have to deal with on a daily basis and how products and services help us manage through our daily lives. But they also want businesses, they want brands, to help them solve their wider we concerns about the environment, the economy, and social issues. Why is it important now? Well, It seems as if it's a new concept. This whole notion of brand purpose, corporate social responsibility, citizenship seems to be heightened right now. So people think the whole debate we're having on what is business's role in society is new, when actually it's not new. It's existed for decades, if not centuries. However, right now, the notion of brand citizenship and the other things that move along with it are in the spotlight because people are frustrated with partisan politics and the lack of progress. I first started uncovering people's desire for businesses to step in and solve the problems that government wasn't dealing with in 2011. And that was the nascent point of the research that ended up developing the model of brand citizenship. So how is this different from what some people might call conscious capitalism or or even a focus on the triple bottom line? Well, the definitions of these things are different, and they each have a slightly different place they hold, which I can enlighten you on in a moment. But in reality, they're all focused on the same end game. They're all about being socially responsible and balancing purpose and profit. Brand citizenship as a model is five steps that can actually help a company that's focused on being a conscious capitalist execute the notion of conscious capitalism. So it's one way of achieving that end game. Conscious capitalism is a term that's typically attributed to Whole Foods' John Mackey, who wrote a book with a research partner, Raj Sisodia. Conscious capitalism refers to businesses that serve the interests of all major stakeholders, so it's not just about the shareholder. It's a wider stakeholder model. Brand citizenship also does this, and it's a holistic model that creates a virtuous circle that serves customers, employees, investors, suppliers, etc., and keeps building off itself. When you go to triple bottom line reporting, it's an accounting framework. And that helps companies that practice brand citizenship, that are conscious capitalists, 
companies measure their performance on three different assessments rather than solely financial. So it's about creating greater value than financial value, and in many ways that's about exponential value. So triple bottom line reporting measures your performance on social, environmental, and financial. Mm -hmm. So it's more than just serving an end game of profit. Right. Now, in the book, you mentioned, as you did a little bit earlier, this move from me to we. What steps does a brand need to take to get there? Okay, so the five steps of the model are the five steps of the me to we continuum. But most importantly, a company doesn't have to sequentially move along the steps. It glides along the steps from whichever point it most comfortably starts. Brand citizenship is a journey of trial and error. There's no quick fixes or guarantees. So a company should step on the pathway at the point that best helps them begin to actualize their purpose. And the five steps are trust, so doing what you say, enrichment, helping better people's lives, making them more inspired on a daily basis, responsibility, which is the pivot point between being a me and a we brand. And what's really important to highlight here is people do not give you permission or will not give you credit for the good works you're doing in the environment or in your supply chain or anywhere else unless you first and foremost treat your employees well and fairly. After responsibility, you move into the we space. So trust and enrichment are about solving people's individual problems, and that can be employees as much as it can be your customers. Then you move to responsibility, and then you start moving into a we space. It's about community, about joining people through shared values, Mm -hmm. not just social media communities, but bringing people together in benefiting your local community, doing good works together in collaboration with the people in your neighborhood, with your customers. It's about bringing employees together by helping to create the values of a company. It's about bringing businesses together. There's a B2B aspect in community, businesses that have shared values and want to learn from each other. And then after that, it moves on to the notion of contribution. So by my association with you, you make me bigger than I am. You make my contribution to the world more than it could be if I did it on my own. And it's very easy to place only social enterprises in the space of social contribution. But in the book, I outline regular average businesses that are doing things that are all about contributing and making their employees and making their customers feel like they're doing more by buying their products and services. I'm curious about this five-step brand citizenship model. What's the support structure? What are the underpinnings of your five-step brand citizenship model? So the underpinnings are really the research that led to the model. Brand citizenship was built from the grassroots up. As I noted, you know, we're in this time where the whole notion of doing good is being highlighted and spotlighted. However, I didn't set out to create a model to do that. What happened was at the end of 2011, I was doing trend research just to come up with five trends for 2012. And in this research were some interesting findings that we didn't expect. Mm -hmm. And those findings led me to grant myself money over the next three years to deconstruct brand leadership from good corporate citizenship and from favorite brands, which is a proxy for brand loyalty. So we took these things apart and then put them back together in the way people were telling us they fit. And over that three years, both quantitatively and qualitatively, 
we spoke to over 6,000 people in the U.S. and the U.K., and that's how the model emerged. If you don't mind, we could just go into a little bit more detail and zoom in on that transitional mm-hmm. point from where a company moves from being perceived as a me brand to being seen as a, a we brand. What does that transition point look like? So it is where I started talking a little bit about it. Yeah. Responsibility. Responsibility is the place that has all the original notions of corporate social responsibility in it. It's about sustainable supply management. It's about caring about the environment. It's about treating your suppliers well and fairly. But first and foremost, it's about treating your employees well. And you see companies that have challenges with this, that are doing really amazing things. And they're fixing their supply chains in ways that can change entire countries. However, these companies will not be given credit for what they're doing in that way until people perceive them as treating their employees fairly, as offering Mm. a fair wage, as not working them too hard, as giving fair benefits. And companies that have that reputation over time for not treating employees well and fairly have a really hard time shaking it because people are always looking to find you out. Right. And one of the big things that I really feel that emerges from my research and my model is we have to start giving companies credit for the good stuff they're doing as much as we seek to hunt them down and find out what they're doing wrong because we're in this transition point and there's no fixed models and people will make mistakes. And as long as they're not making mistakes by being completely purposefully negligent, by being completely irresponsible, which is this pivot point, we need to work with them to better their mistakes and better the things they're doing wrong. It's not just up to companies to do it. We as their employees, we as their customers, we as their suppliers have to collaborate with them. We're in this together. Sure. No one person can rescue the world. I'm, I'm interested in, well, there's a phrase out, that's out there. If you want to improve things, you need to measure them. Mm-hmm. What are the metrics, that the critical metrics, the essential metrics that people should be used or people should pay attention to, you know, improving performance or, or handling that transition mm-hmm. from, from me to we? So there's numerous metrics a company can use, and like many things with brand citizenship, and frankly, like many things with metrics, the metrics you use have to reflect the culture of your company and how you change things. So one set of metrics that works for one company may not work for another if their management processes are different. Basic metrics run from designing custom market research studies to producing balanced scorecards that would combine brand equity, reputation management, and sustainability benchmarks. And companies are all out there playing with these things. When you add in financial performance and how these things help create financial value, Mm -hmm. as well as, as we were talking about in triple bottom line reporting, social value and, and environmental value, people tend to act on it more because the finances still drive a lot. However, a lot of companies are shifting to impact measurements and how their social programs are impacting. So the number of people, in the same way nonprofits struggle with those measurements, they're really hard. But all these things are different things that you can apply. And putting them in a single place of a balanced scorecard is probably the best way to do it. That helps Executives, that helps your board, if you're a public company or even a private company with a board, see how you're shifting and how you're performing and identify areas for improvement. Any metrics should not just be measurements 
that are ignored. They should be measurements that provide insight for action. Sure. And that's a historical issue with metrics. A lot of times there are these great reports and they sit on someone's desk or on a shelf and no one pays attention to them. And metrics like that should really be just trash. There's no point in doing them. <laughs> if you're not going to act on what you're learning, right. why bother? Sure. Just to make yourself feel good. Uh, it really should be something that impacts and motivates change, innovation, and constant monitoring improvement. In the book, I highlight the research framework that mm -hmm. ties directly to how the model was developed. And that's one way of also measuring that element of brand equity and reputation management. So that's a starting point if someone doesn't even know where to go. That's a simple, easy way to get off the ground. I, I'm interested in uh, probing around a little bit about <laughs> this issue of, of, of authenticity. And we've spoken to a lot of people, people who sat in that chair in front of that microphone and talked to us about the value of being authentic. And you have very obvious cases that are in the business press or in, on cable TV these days where a company or a brand is, a, is accused of, of greenwashing, let's so say. So to speak. <laughs> uh, right? So to speak, uh, quote, greenwashing, unquote, where they're, they're pretending to be basically environmentally responsible, but they're not. So how does a brand communicate their, their authenticity? All right. So first, there's two things I want to address in there before I actually answer the That's question. <laughs> While communications are important, doing is more important. Right. So that's the first thing I want to say. But then I'll talk a little bit about communications. Sure. You really have to do. You can't just talk. And then the notion of authenticity is the second thing I want to address. I started researching millennials for client work and some very open-ended exploratory ways in 2006, 2007. And back then, I started wondering about the notion of authenticity mm -hmm. because millennials, who now are, are in their mid-30s, let's mm -hmm. not forget millennials are not young anymore. We have Gen Z that's following millennials mm -hmm. that are in their late teens. But millennials back then were telling us that they contrived, or as someone recently said to me in a more positive way, curate their profiles. And back in 2006, before we had the iPhone, when people were using their iPods, they were telling us how they would make their playlist read in a way that their friends would not really know which music they listened to regularly. Hmm. So they looked more almost like Renaissance musicians. They hmm. listened to lots of wide things, and their friends could not pinpoint what was their favorite music style. So fast forward to 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, when I was doing the research that led to brand citizenship. And we learned from people that we're also savvy on social media now. Everyone has a profile somewhere, or virtually everyone has a profile somewhere. There are still a few holdouts. And in those profiles, we contrive or curate, whichever way you want to look at it, who we are. So people know companies contrive or curate their own authenticity also. And what I learned was as long as there's a truth in being authentic, people believe backstories and are willing to forgive them. So I just want to say the notion of authenticity doesn't really exist in people's minds. It's about sincerity. And sincerity goes to that first space I started about doing. It comes from the heart. It's how you behave. It's what you believe. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, I would say you can't go out there and communicate a campaign or a tagline or anything that's out there, a headline, unless you're doing it first mm -hmm. and foremost and really doing it, mm -hmm. not just varnish over it. Sure. And secondly, frankly, if you are doing it, 
do you need to communicate it? Exactly. Because people recognize it on their own. Exactly. And that's more powerful than actually going out there and talking about it. Here's an interesting thing I want to throw at you. Not all of a brand's customers are going to define doing good in the same way. Doing good is a a relative type of thing, I guess. What about companies that take an activist position, especially these days, Mm -hmm. that undermines a segment other than their customer base? I'm thinking about things like, well, Hobby Lobby or the brands that dropped out of NRA's member discount programs. Aren't there inherent risks in a brand taking those kinds of sides, those kinds of positions? Absolutely. And your first sentence about not everyone defining good in the same way is usually how I start off answering this question because most people forget that. Taking a public stand by nature is polarizing. There is no way to avoid that. If we go back to the original tenets of target marketing, however, one might say taking a stand might be one aspect of target marketing. Mm -hmm. And I'll jump into the real issue that you're addressing in a moment. But what's interesting is when I started thinking about this question and the notion of should brands step up and represent an ideal, a viewpoint that's more politically oriented. And when you think about it, we started off by segmenting through demographics. Then we went to psychographics. Then we enhanced psychographics and made them lifestyle. Well, what's after lifestyle? Ideals. So in many ways... The current political climate has probably accelerated something that would have happened otherwise. And I think that's important to remember because having a point of view in an era when there's no real product differentiation that you can maintain Mm -hmm. is how you distinguish one brand from another is based on that point of view. Who do you affiliate with? Exactly. But in a social world, declaring a position actually places you in control of your brand. As we see what's going on right now, we're in a heightened moment as we speak about gun control. Mm -hmm. The brands that are not stepping up and declaring their position are having their positions declared by others. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure a standard crisis management person would say, if you're going to be a target, if you're a large company that sits on the periphery, you should gain control of who you are and what you're about. Now, that said, today's consumer, people today because I like to think of consumers as people, because Mm -hmm. I'm a consumer, you're a consumer, our neighbors are consumers, even though we're in industry and we're working as marketers. People see through crafted messaging, as I was saying before. They know political rhetoric that's not real, and they know false claims. So before you take a stand on anything, you better make sure that it really reflects what you're about, that it reflects your own internal policies and the way you behave. Now imagine if one of these companies that has stepped up and pulled funding from the NRA, it's suddenly uncovered by some activists that one of their pension plans has a large set of investments in a gun manufacturer. And this did happen earlier on in this debate a few years ago. Then you're looking hypocritical. It's looking like you're taking advantage of a current news cycle. So before you step up and take a stand either way, make sure that your house is in order. Mm -hmm. Yes, you have to respond to customers, which is what a lot of these people who have pulled out of the NRA were doing. Mm -hmm. Whether you agree with Hobby Lobby or not, Hobby Lobby is true to who it is. Mm -hmm. 
or what it is, or mm-hmm. however, whichever way you look at a brand as a who or what. But Hobby Lobby is true to what it's about in every way. Right. And whether you agree or not, in some ways you have to at least respect them for right. at least holding a line. Right. Or like Chick-fil-A. You exactly. Know what I mean? We just said, this is who we are. Exactly. And what's interesting about that, so 2011, I had just moved back from the U.K., and whilst I'd been back and forth for a decade to the U.S. quite regularly, I was not really as up to speed on current events as I thought I was. And in this very first research we did that was not about brand citizenship, when we asked people about good and bad corporate citizens, Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A came up on both sides of the equation. Isn't that interesting? And the two women who were analyzing the research with me most closely, one was Canadian and one was English. Mm-hmm. And we were all a little mystified by this. And then we had our wonderful set of six interns who were like, don't you know about this? Yeah. And they clued us in as to why they were sure. mentioned. And if we didn't have that clue in, we actually might have just completely ignored it. Interesting. But things like that were some of the things that started highlighting what yeah. was going on in the zeitgeist. This is really cool stuff. We've been speaking to Ann Barr Thompson. She's author of Do Good, Embracing Brand Citizenship to Fuel Both Purpose and Profit. Ann, I could talk about this stuff all day. Good luck with the book. Thank you. I appreciate your time. AMA webinars give you 90 minutes of focused how-to instruction and specific solutions to help you solve your most pressing work issues. Find tactical, practical courses on building work relationships, polishing your spreadsheet skills, managing your team to meet company goals, and more on our events calendar at amanet.org forward slash events. take feedback very seriously here at the AMA. If you get a minute, you have some thoughts about this program or additional questions, just send an email to us at podcasts at amanet.org. 